Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Thinking, a Life Training Institute podcast in which we will talk about the abortion issue and larger issues related to bioethics in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm Clinton Wilcox, your host, and I am joined by my co-host, Nathan Apodaca. How are you doing this morning, Nathan? Uh, Great to be with you, Clinton. It's great to be with you as well. We are advocates and voices for the unborn with Life Training Institute, whose mission is to equip pro-life advocates to graciously and persuasively defend their pro-life views in the marketplace of ideas and in our culture. We believe in the radical idea that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings, whether born or unborn, and we're here to equip you to defend that idea in a culture that celebrates a woman's right to choose. Now, at the time we're recording this podcast, it's been almost three months since we last published an episode, so that means probably about two and a half months or so since we've last recorded, so we're glad to be getting back in the swing of things here. Yeah, Happy New Year to our listening audience as well. Yeah, so we've had about a three-month break, and hopefully we'll be back in the swing of things, releasing weekly content again soon. The topic that we have for today is personate arguments, the personate arguments of Marianne Warren specifically. She wrote an essay called On the Moral and Legal Status of Abortion, and in that essay she defends a personate argument, but one that's not quite as focused as many abortion choice philosophers. In this one, she offers five criteria that she says a person must exhibit. Yeah, and before we jump into things, for our listening audience, since uh, something I have noticed when especially doing pro-life outreach on the street or having conversations across the water cooler at work is that many times the arguments of the top thinkers like Marianne Warren or David Boonin will kind of filter down into everyday life and will get repeated in a way that's not entirely the same way the argument was written out, but will sometimes just get parroted. So when someone says to you, they might concede the point and say, well, yeah, the unborn are human, but they're not a person. Well, just a quick tactical response to this objection that is heard on the street. It's just simply ask, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between a human being and a human person? And that comes from Gregory Kokel. And he says, he goes, we should make them actually defend the point that they're making, because given how much weight it carries with it, they're essentially saying is that we can kill certain human beings who aren't persons just like we are. Well, that needs to be defended. It needs to be defended in a really 
solid way and not simply stated. Uh, I've had people say this to me during pro-life outreach, did one at Palomar College recently, and a girl came up to me and kept scream, literally screaming, actually, saying, it's not a person, it's not a person, it's not a person. Well, when I stopped and asked her and said, hey, well, what's, what's the difference? She, I just got a blank stare. Apparently, she never really thought of it before. In fact, most people haven't. They just repeat something they've heard on, <laughs> they've seen in a meme or heard on Twitter. Yeah, and often a person like that who insists that the unborn is not a person, especially if she doesn't have any evidence or arguments to back it up, is probably someone who's post-abortive herself and can't bring herself to concede that it's a person, because otherwise she'll have to admit that she killed a person. Or maybe she knows someone who had an abortion or something. So often that's kind of an emotional barrier that can be there regarding someone who just keeps insisting that it's not a person. I've definitely noticed that to be the case. Um, especially a lot of people I have noticed who are post-abortive, or maybe they had a girlfriend who was post-abortive, is there is that level of emotion. And I think it is understandable because it's really hard to admit that you engaged in an act that intentionally killed an innocent human being. And that is an understandable position to come from. And I think we do need to understand that when we're out talking to people on the street. I mean, uh, because it is a, we are a culture where abortion has been solidified within the culture for the last 40 years. That's changing now. Thankfully, with the 45th anniversary over versus Wade coming up, the pro-life movement has scored more victories than in the last few years than ever before. But still, there is that aspect to it is a lot of people do have that emotional objection. They don't really want to admit that abortion does intentionally kill an innocent human being. Yeah, so the personhood criteria that Warren has in her essay she actually talks about the difference between the terms human in the biological sense and human in the moral sense. This is an important distinction, especially for pro-life people to keep in mind. In fact, when you're talking to an abortion choice advocate, it's usually the abortion choice advocate who tends to conflate the two. For example, when they try to tell you that no one knows when life begins, they're conflating humanity in the biological sense with humanity in the moral sense. But it's something that pro-life people can do as well if they're not careful. Human in the biological sense is just what we would consider to be biological humans, that is, every biological member of the human species. Human in the moral sense are those humans which are part of the moral community, which are the ones that it is wrong to kill. Pro-life people would say that all biological humans are part of the moral community, whereas philosophers like Marianne Warren would say that some biological humans are part of the moral community and others are not. So as I said in her paper, Warren offers five criteria for personhood. These are, number one, consciousness, for example, of objects and events external and or internal to the being, and in particular the capacity to feel pain. Number two, reasoning, that is, the developed capacity to solve new and relatively complex problems. Number three, self-motivated activity, which is activity which is relatively independent of either genetic or direct external control. Number four, the capacity to communicate, by whatever means, messages of an indefinite variety of types, that is, not just with an indefinite number of possible contents, but on indefinitely many possible topics. And number five, the presence of self-concepts and self-awareness, either individual or racial or both. Now, to reiterate those concepts, they are consciousness, reasoning, self-motivated activity, the capacity to communicate, and the presence of self-concepts and self-awareness are the criteria that Warren takes to be criteria that establish personhood. 
Now, she goes on to say that we needn't claim that all five of these criteria are necessary for personhood. It may be that the first two criteria are sufficient for considering something a person. Now, she doesn't actually make a case for her criteria, she just assumes it. She says that to demonstrate that a fetus is not a person, all we need to do is claim that any being that lacks all five of these properties is not a person. She continues, quote, I consider this claim to be so obvious that I think anyone who denied it and claimed that a being which satisfies none of one through five was a person all the same would thereby demonstrate that he had no notion at all of what a person is, perhaps because he confused the concept of a person with that of genetic humanity, end quote. This is a pretty bold claim, especially from a philosopher, and especially considering the fact that her concept of what makes a person a person is not only wrong, but seriously confused. One major issue with this is if you can't consider all five of these to be necessary qualifications for personhood, then how can you consider any of them to be? It seems rather convenient that if something she considers to be a person lacks one of these characteristics, she'll still consider it a person if it has any of the other characteristics. But why consider that lacked characteristic necessary for personhood if something can lack it and still be a person? If, for example, something lacked the, the last three conditions but only had the first two, for example, if they had consciousness and the ability to reason but not the other three abilities, then if these are not necessary but sufficient conditions, as she claims they might be, then something that lacks all five of them could still be a person for another reason. But of course, she's mistaken for a more fundamental reason. No one actually believes that someone must exhibit these properties at all times to be a person. When you fall asleep, you cease being able to exercise your consciousness or self-awareness, so obviously the present capacity for consciousness or self-awareness cannot be seen as a necessary property for personhood. That would make personhood episodic, coming and going whenever you ceased being able to perform those functions. But of course, we don't cease being a person when we cease being able to perform these functions. It is the inherent capacity for these properties that grounds our personhood, for we don't lose those whenever we cease being able to perform those functions, even if we lose that function permanently. Human embryos and fetuses have these inherent capacities from fertilization, and that's why human embryos and fetuses are persons. Warren just assumes she's right, saying anyone who disagrees just has no concept of what a person actually is. She doesn't even attempt to consider the idea that it's our inherent capacities, not our presently exercisable ones, that makes someone a person. So those are, I think, pretty important reasons for why her criteria for personhood is almost certainly false, because it has the episodic problem, and she herself doesn't consider these necessary but sufficient conditions, which means that if these are sufficient but not necessary, th then if those criteria, if those properties are present, then that's enough to consider someone a person, but they're not necessary to consider someone a person, which means if they lack those properties, they could still be a person for other reasons. And so the pro-life person would say that it's not our present capacities that makes one a person, it's our inherent capacities, those capacities that still remain when we cease being able to perform those functions that grounds our personhood. Because if our personhood is grounded in a function that we can lose, then we lose our personhood whenever we lose that function. Just to kind of refer back uh, a few episodes back, we had an Aaron and Clinton discuss the substance view of human persons, and it's a view that's been best articulated by Dr. Frank Beckwith. And he points out that a lot of those capacities, we have those by our very nature of being human. It's not that those capacities, suddenly gaining those capacities is what makes us human. We gain those capacities because we are human. So I think that when people, I, I, Clinton, you might be able to speak a little bit better to this, but I think people, when they look at this idea of those capacities, they have it backwards. 
they think that once we gain that capacity, we have suddenly become a person, but we don't gain that capacity because we are a person. Do you, do you think that they have that kind of backwards a little bit? Well, yeah, I think if you believe that your function precedes your form, so to speak, that if it's your abilities to perform certain tasks, such as being conscious or rational, if you believe that's what grounds or determines what a person is, I think that's putting the cart before the horse. That's just as arbitrary as saying you're not a person unless you have white skin, or you're not a person unless you're male. Well, while being male or being white are properties of persons, they're not what makes a person a person. Just like consciousness and rationality are properties of persons, they're not what makes a person a person. And so we actually have done a show on capacities as well, which anyone who's listening can refer back to for some more information on these. But there's also some great resources they can refer to as well. As Nathan mentioned, Defending Life is Great. We both have read Patrick Lee's book, Abortion and Unborn Human Life, which talks about how form precedes function and that kind of thing. And, of course, Ed Fazer is a great philosopher as well. The Last Superstition gives a lay-level basic treatment of it that I would recommend. Uh, and also, Scholastic Metaphysics, if you really want to delve a lot deeper into it and get more of a collegiate-level defense of these kinds of ideas. Now, before we continue, we have a little something to play for you regarding an upcoming conference. When we come back, we'll finish up our discussion on Warren's personhood criteria and talk about one other major issue with her position. They are a small grassroots team of apologetic speakers, each of whom has their own small grassroots ministry. Then one day they had an idea. It started almost as a joke, but quickly ballooned into a full-fledged ministry plan. Gathered together as bloggers, podcasters, vloggers, and writers, each with their own small voice, but drowned out and passed over by the grandeur of celebrity apologists. From the eastern seaboard to the west coast, and various locations in between, they come from different backgrounds, but they share one great message. This journey of these thinkers, each with his own small influence in some small corner of the Christian apologetics world, will finally converge in one location. They will meet one another for the very first time. This is a team of speakers like no other. Among them is a man who has struggled against seizures and brain surgery, and yet has remained brilliant in his defense of the gospel. A former atheist whose conversion to Christianity now has him battling the worldview he once held. A former gospel rapper whose ministry on behalf of urban believers fights for racial reconciliation. An elementary school teacher who strives to make apologetics accessible to the everyman. And finally, a man with Asperger's Syndrome married to a woman with Asperger's Syndrome. His passion, along with apologetics, is to keep the church informed on matters of how to minister to the autistic brothers and sisters in their midst, and of the treasure that his unconventional marriage has been to him. In May of 2018, the group, now known as The Mentionables, will hold its very first national conference in Greensboro, North Carolina. This unusual group, The Mentionables, which came together almost by accident, now invite you to join them. Come see their messages united. Come see what small voices can do to present one loud noise for the kingdom. Join us for Mentionable, the conference, 2018. For more information, visit the Mentionable's Facebook group page or contact Greensboro Christian Church at 336-621-5226. Mentionable, the conference. Many small voices present one big message. And we're back, talking about Marianne Warren's criteria for personhood. 
We did talk a little bit about these two major critiques of Warren's position, that it leads to the episodic problem that personhood comes and goes because she grounds personhood in abilities that come and go throughout the course of someone's life, especially when they fall asleep, go under general anesthesia before a surgery, or enter a reversible coma, things like that. And the other difficulty with her criteria is that they are sufficient conditions, not necessary conditions. And if they are not necessary, then something could be a person that lacks all of these characteristics. So Warren has backed herself into a corner because she doesn't want to say that they're necessary because she, herself, in her paper, concedes that it's kind of difficult to pinpoint exactly what makes a person a person. So she says that they're sufficient, not necessary conditions. But there's a third difficulty with her position, which is that her position leads to a supportive infanticide. Now, this is something that she didn't anticipate in her paper. She didn't talk about infanticide or why her arguments don't lead to a supportive infanticide. But later, in the republishing of her paper, she did include a postscript responding to some of the critics of her paper who said that her arguments lead to a supportive infanticide. So this is kind of the elephant in the room regarding Warren's personhood criteria because her arguments do also justify infanticide, but she didn't really anticipate it or try to head off any of these criticisms in her paper. So in a postscript, she tried to respond, and her response was just really, really poor reasoning. It was about as ad hoc a justification of her position to avoid infanticide as anything I've ever seen, and this from a philosopher. So her two arguments against infanticide were... Number one, that neonates, which is the clinical term for infants, are so close to being persons that to kill them requires very strong justification, as does the killing of dolphins, whales, and chimpanzees. Number two, if the newborn's parents do not want it or are unable to care for it, there are people willing and able to care for it and give it a good home. Of course, the astute observer will just tell her that these same things are true of late-term fetuses, yet Warren advocates killing them because they are not persons. A late-term fetus, like the infant, is very close to being a person. As other abortion choice philosophers will tell you, there is very little difference between a late-term fetus and an infant. And there are people who are willing and able to adopt it if the mother is unwilling or unable to care for it. She even concedes that third-trimester fetuses are highly person-like, and many people value them and would prefer they be preserved. Viable fetuses are also as valuable as viable infants as a potential source of pleasure to some people. So why should we not protect late-term fetuses? The crucial difference, she argues, is that infants, except in very exceptional cases, do not pose a risk to the life or health of the mother, whereas late-term fetuses do. But there are at least two critical flaws with her argument. One, you are not justified in killing someone in the off chance that they might do you harm. You are only justified in killing someone who is an imminent threat to your life. So abortions cannot be justified as acts of self-defense. And two, if a late-term pregnancy becomes life-threatening, doctors don't perform abortions. A late-term abortion is a two- or three-day procedure, whereas a cesarean section is a 30-minute procedure. If a late-term pregnancy becomes life-threatening, a C-section is performed, not a late-term abortion. So again, late-term abortions cannot be justified on the grounds of self-defense. So it seems pretty clear that Warren's reply does not do the work of avoiding justification for infanticide while still permitting late-term abortion. So her arguments are just completely ad hoc. If you're comfortable supporting infanticide, then you might feel comfortable supporting Warren's position on personhood. But if you're not comfortable supporting infanticide, then you'll want to at least reject that late-term fetuses are not persons. So you're going to need some other property or qualification that would justify your position that abortion is justified in the early stages of pregnancy because early embryos and fetuses are not persons, but is not justified in the late term because late-term late fetuses are. 
and as philosophers like Michael Tooley and Peter Singer, who we will address in the future on this program, will tell you there's no real difference between a late-term fetus and an infant that would justify killing one but not the other. So it's a pretty tall order to come up with some kind of criterion that would justify abortion in the first or second trimester, but not the third trimester. So we talked about Marianne Warren's five criteria for personhood, those being consciousness, reasoning, self-motivated activity, the capacity to communicate, and the presence of self-concepts. And then we talked about the various criticisms that we can raise against those criteria, those being that that they are sufficient, not necessary conditions, that it leads to the episodic problem, and that her criteria also justify infanticide. And if you'd like any additional information on these, you can refer back to the books that we mentioned earlier, which I'll also include in the show notes, or you can also see Christopher Kayser's book, The Ethics of Abortion. So I'd like to thank you for listening, and I'd like to thank you, Nathan, for joining me. Uh, We would just ask that you share this around social media, wherever you frequent. You can rate and review us on our Facebook page and on iTunes. Now, this is a weekly podcast, and it takes a lot of work to put together a podcast each week on top of all the other work that I do in the pro-life movement. As Greg Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are more people working full-time to kill unborn babies than there are people working full-time to save them. I subsist off of donations from financial supporters. People like you keep me being able to do the work that I do. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and would like to support my work as a full-time pro-life advocate, you can go to www.prolifetraining.com and click on Donate in the menu on the top. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a monthly gift. Just be sure to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account. And if you'd like to donate to the podcast specifically, you can also indicate that in the notes section. Donations are also tax deductible. Now, next week, we're actually going to have a bonus episode. We're going to post up the audio of a recent talk that Scott Klusendorf gave in Southern California at, uh, at the University of California in San Marcos. But the week after that, when we return, we're going to talk about a recent short viral video put out by Students for Life that showed a college student talking about personhood. And we're going to be joined by our colleague in LTI, Jay Watts. So once again, I would like to thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.